Yo. Yo. How's that auction going? So they he just posted a Lamelo, an Ant, a Ja Rule, and a sophomore star Zion. A Ja Rule? Oh, sorry. <laughs> ja Morant. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Howl History again. I'm Derek. That's Chad. We're here for another episode, and this is a uh, Timberwolves won their first preseason game edition. Chad, you were at the game. How'd it go? It was fun, man. It was like weird. I mean, it it felt like preseason because it was very empty there. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, um, like in fact, these jabronis behind us were a little bit annoying because First off, they're the type of fans that are yelling every time that somebody shoots a free throw. Box out! It's like, <laughs> okay, yeah. you're about 260 pounds sitting in a seat. You don't think Carl Anthony Towns knows mm-hmm. how to box out or knows what it is? Like, my God. So I, I hate fans like that. They drive me nuts. Um, but on top of that, that same guy kept saying, this is the lowest attendance I've ever seen at a Timberwolves game. Like, he said it probably six times. And finally... Like, I don't know who the guy was with him, if it was his son or what, but he's like, well, it is the first preseason game. Yeah. It doesn't even count. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> and he goes, well, what, what's that matter? And he's like, well, most preseason games are right, kind of like this. They're not. Mo- most preseason games are happening in a barn in Iowa, so get over it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, so from that standpoint, it didn't feel like a regular season game because it wasn't that loud in there. Um, but the way they played, I mean, they played hard. You know, it started off a little... Some a couple of the guys started off a little rusty, mm-hmm. um, but they were all playing really, really hard, which you also don't see in a preseason game. Normally, it's you know the kind of guys are just kind of going through the motions. So from that standpoint, it was fun. Um, we got to see you know all the all the starters you would expect. To, they played. They didn't all start. It was kind of an interesting. Uh, Okogi started at the four. Yeah. Vanderbilt did not start. Um, Beasley did not start, which not, wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it kind of confirmed what you know we had discussed before that he'd probably be off the bench. Um, Jaden started and Ant and D'Lo and Kat. So, um, but, you know, Okogi brought a lot of energy in the game. I mean, he was, he looked like he added, and we talked about last week about all the guys that added a couple inches to their height. Okogi looks like he added about four inches to his vertical, <laughs> which is already a good jumper. Yeah. But he was like, I mean, he blocked, I don't even remember who it was. It wasn't his guy. It was like a much taller player. It might have been Jackson Hayes, but he blocked him out of nowhere. I mean, it was just super impressive. So he was he had a lot of pep in his step. And then um, I don't know. It was, it was it was just it was fun to be in the environment. And I did get to see one game post sort of lockdown where they let you know some yeah. fans. So right. I was at one of those last year. Um, it felt a lot like that because in fact there's probably less people at this one because uh, our role was completely it was just my son sure. and i we were the only two in our row um which was like last year there was at least two other people in the row with us <laughs> for the the covid game although the covid game they didn't have anybody in the upper decks and they did have people in the upper mm-hmm. decks with okay us. So, um but um but yeah it was yeah you know the other thing i noticed is jade mcdaniels is no, no longer really a secret to uh to like the non-diehard timberwolves fans yeah. I mean, like even sort of the common fans at the game where, I mean, every time, like, during shoot-around, you know, they'll show the, the camera, will just pan around different players on both teams. 
And whenever Jaden was shown on the screen, a cheer, you could hear a sure. cheer through there, um, which was pretty interesting. So I started listening for the introductions to see if you get the loudest pop and Ant got the loudest pop. And, and even Cat probably had a louder pop than Jaden, but Jaden mm-hmm. was real close to Cat's and certainly a higher, louder pop than uh, D'Lo got um, in terms of other star players. So that was interesting. I, the weird thing, I also heard a couple boos when they announced Chris Finch. Interesting. Which I thought. Why? Like, I, well, one of them was from that jabroni behind me. <laughs> Doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but there was a couple other ones scattered. I mean, there was a lot of cheers, too. So, And the cheers were definitely louder than the boos. But I'm like, what? What cause what would you, you have, have for booing Chris Finch? Yeah. 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 I mean, my only thought was that maybe this guy was just, like, my dad, bitter that Ryan Saunders was let go. Yeah. For him. So it's kind of like, you know, you and I not liking the guys that we trade Rubio for. Right. Um, although... Spoiler alert, I really like Torian Prince. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, um, that would be my only guess, is that Finch was the guy that replaced Ryan Saunders. So I don't really understand any other reason for it. But I don't um, know. And then later in the game, it was fun to watch. So my season tickets this year are on, the last two years they were on the visitor side. Mm-hmm. This year they're on the home side. So I was able to kind of watch the interactions on the bench, which... It's also nuts when it's preseason because there's not enough chairs. Yeah. So the guys wrap all the way around, like, un- all the way to under the hoop. <laughs> so, like, half of them don't even have chairs. They have to stand. <laughs> and they're, it's just weird. They're just standing around talking. And uh, once in a while, somebody get on a bike because there's just no <laughs> yeah, place nowhere else to sit. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a seven footer, it's, or, you know, not real comfortable sitting on the floor yeah. for that long. I, um, I but can't anyway, even sit on the floor. Are you kidding me? I can't at all. But, yeah. I mean, I'm also 20 years older than everybody on the team. <laughs> just about. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they, I mean, they were a lot more into the game, a lot more like cheering for each other. I mean, there was a little bit of that last year anyway, but like D'Lo man was really, really into it. Like yeah. he was really hyping up the, the other guys on the bench when he was not in the game. And um, there, you know, so that was really fun. I mean, that it was infectious, you know, cause like they would get really excited and they turn around and they'd be like, motioning for the fans to stand up and cheer and um so it was it was great that's awesome i mean that first half was one heck of a half especially the second quarter i think they outscored the pelicans 40 to 17 and you know chad it made me think of uh, a few lyrics from one of your favorite songs that you know it says i got a new life you would hardly recognize me i'm so glad it's one of my favorites huh it sure is (laughs) is this another uh like backstreet boys or no, this is Ace of Base, Chad. Oh. Get your act together. This is the, the first three lines from The Sign. Oh, and that was one of my favorite songs. Right? It's been a minute since I've heard it, but I did like, I still like Ace of Base. <laughs> but, awesome. but honestly, it was, I mean, the way that they came together in that second quarter, not only the shots they were making, but the defensive intensity, watching, like we talked before once they acquired Beverly, of what type of lineups they could put out there to just wreak havoc on defense with, Beverly and Ekogi and Jaden and Vanderbilt and just all the different you know guys out there but the one that we never really assumed would be the biggest defensive impact player on the team was Ant and he came out and he was one heck of a defensive player in this first preseason game and his intensity and his awareness and just his the way that he was locked in to play you know that, that weak side role um, was just uh, if he can prove that this is where he's at now that's going to change everything yeah, and last year he was good at 
you know, getting steals, but he was gambling a lot of times out of position on his guy because he was cheating so far into the passing lanes. Um, but the other night, he he was staying at home on his guy and still finding ways to steal the ball. Um, I think part of it is he's so he's quicker than what you, he looks like he would be because he's so big. I mean, right. that was the other thing. I mean, like again, I only saw him in person once last year, um, but. Seeing him in person, you're like, man, this kid is a big guy. <laughs> like he's just, <laughs> his shoulders are so broad. You know, he's you know he's not big like you know like Zion where he's like looks heavy. He's not like that. He's in good shape, but he's just a big like big big guy. Um, yeah. And so I think that coupled with his explosiveness, you know, if they throw a pass that's not like right on the money, he's got a shot at it. And you know, he showed that the other night. And he picked off a couple. Of, he had some nice blocks. Um, he was he was really engaged on it. I don't know if you because you watched it on TV. So when Towns went down mm-hmm. and Beverly got the technical, yeah, I had no idea. I like they announced it in the arena. I'm like Beverly. He's he was right by Towns when yeah. I so I didn't see what he did. Um, and of course they didn't want to explain that. They just said you know a technical fall on the bench. You know and they assessed it to him in the in an arena. They you know but um, so I didn't really. Well, he was so he was kind of harping on the ref to give uh, to call a flagrant on Josh Hart. Yep. Um, and but I think it was more like the way I read it, and I think this might have been in uh, John Krasinski's article, but it was it was aimed at the ref and directed at Josh Hart. But really, the point of it was to show support for Cat on the floor. Like, this is who I am. Like, I'm just fighting for my guy. I'm always going to fight for my guy, even if like. And you're just going to get in the way. And I th- so I think the ref was in the way of, of that vocal show of support. And I think the ref gave him the tech. And I, I think he threw out an ex- expletive and it's, I don't care. So Yeah, I read that. Yeah, and he he is very much KG-like when it comes to, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're I'm here to kill you if you're not on my team. And because he was barking at guys the whole time. Like, he got called for a fall at one, one like, inbound pass. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes inbound it the second time, and Beverly's just clapping in his face the entire time. I'm just yep. like, all right, like you know, he's just you he's know. gonna drive some people crazy, but it's gonna up the Wolves' win total by five if he stays healthy the whole season. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's a, he's like the Sam Cassell, where you're just like, okay, dude, shut it. You know, but then he's on your team, you're like, man, keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, there were some tweets about like, you know, the. Beverly and a Kogi, you know, defensive backcourt is going to be a problem. And I think even a Kogi responded and was like, hell yeah, you know, and he just, they just, they're really feeding into it and they're really trying to jump as a team on this presence and this personality that they've worked on defense all preseason. And this is just how they're going to build, try to build their identity. And I, you know, I think Carl came out with a good quote today and he kind of said, he kind of threw a little bit of water on the, the expectations a little bit. He's like, you know what? Every team comes out and says, that they're they've been working on defense even all preseason, the, even the wolf, yeah, even for the, years. Like, yeah, you heard us say this. Yeah, you know, he's like, so. it's not going to matter until we come out and do it for real. But, but I think a lot of the reports are that this team is really locked in, and I think that the intensity and the want to out of the entire organization just sounds different. I think you know, like Kogi said, you know, it's just different this year. There's no more excuses. There's nobody trying to be you know there's no more young players this is just everybody knowing it's time to win and i think they're all locked in right now and hopefully that once we get to the you know seven of the first eight games are at home they have to have a good stretch to start this season and you don't want them to see them get overconfident you know the way that they did when you know 
Towns had the famous, like, the Bahamas weren't a joke quote. You know, it's like you can't think just because you win, the, you know, three of the first four games of the season, all of a sudden we, we've made it and everything is fine. But they can't get off to a bad stretch with these seven of the first eight at home. So uh, let's hope that this momentum can carry over. Yeah, I mean, they. Um, you know, the biggest thing was that I noticed was like it, when I was reading the articles today is Beverly and D'Lo exchanging compliments to each other. Like, you know, I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw, but Beverly mentioned that D'Lo reminds him of a guy who has the same type of skill level as some players like James Harden. Yeah. And and on the flip side, D'Lo said, you know, everybody wants to be like Patrick Beverly on defense, you know, and so that's awesome to see. I mean, just the fact that you're, you know, Beverly is, you know, realistically D'Lo's backup. So he's not mm-hmm. coming in with this attitude of like, hey, I've won more games. I've been to the playoffs multiple years. Maybe I should be playing more minutes. I mean, even in a way that Ricky sort of came into last year, not that Ricky was a powder or was like causing any problems by it, but Ricky definitely expected to start yeah. last year. And Beverly kind of knows his role and is content with it. And not only content with it, but he's propping up the guy ahead of him, which is good to see. And then vice versa, you know, D'Lo is returning the favor by, you know, paying the compliment back to to um, Beverly. So, um, I mean, you know, I, I can't say it enough. I think we said it multiple times last episode, but everybody, everything they're saying feels like the right thing. Yeah. Too. You know, like like you said, they're saying it feels different. It feels different from the quotes, too, because it's not these sort of like the Bahamas is not a joke. Like they are taking it more seriously just by cats saying, Hey, we've said this every year that we're going to focus on defense and we haven't ever proven it. So what different, like why even ask, just let us prove it, you know, kind of thing. And um, so I think that is the right mentality to have, because this is a, a time now where this team does need to prove some things because you can't live off potential forever. You know, at some point it has to turn into some winning Absolutely. Any of the any of the new guys that stood out to you more than Beverly and his defense and barking? What about Prince or Balmero? What they what they seem like to you? So Prince had a great game. I mean, mm-hmm. he was good from the start. I, I liked everything about his game. Um, Balmero didn't didn't play a ton, um, but he had a nice pass yeah. that everybody saw. I'm sure on the either on highlights or in the game if they watch on TV. So that was nice. Um, it was fun to see him on the bench because like. You would think because it's his first time in the NBA, and I know a couple of these other guys, like McKinley Wright, it's his first time too, but Bomaro not being from the from the United States, it's a little bit different experience for him. But he didn't seem any more giddy than the other guys. Like, in fact, he seemed less giddy than the guys that you expect to be sort of used to this. Like, D'Lo seemed like the most hyped guy on the bench the entire yeah. time. So they were kind of like getting him all jacked up. And then when he did finally get to come into the game, they were – hooting and hollering and giving him a standing ovation and all that. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, Prince is going to be a player. I mean, you know, I mean, we've all seen him play, but you don't get to watch him mm-hmm. that closely. And so sometimes you don't have a full, pre- he, you know, that being said, Prince was a guy a couple of years ago. I was really high on that. I really wanted the wolves to go after they didn't. And then, I, you know, sort of lost track of him. He also had an injury. So he, when he did play, he wasn't the same guy he was two or three seasons ago, but now um, he looks fully healthy his shot is really nice i mean he you know was knocking down threes he was playing good defense um i don't know again if he's he's another one that to me he still feels like a three more mm-hmm. than a four yeah so i don't know what that means for Jaden because 
there's going to be nights where Jaden might not play as many minutes as I, I would like him to because Prince is just going to have it going on and he's a more reliable three-point shooter than Jaden is. Um, but, you know, maybe they can play, you know, together a lot on other nights where there isn't a big four yep. on the other team because, you know, I think Bando clearly was our best rebounder outside of maybe Talents, but, you know, yes. of the guys yeah. discussing here at the four. And so he's going to, you know, earn a lot of minutes. I mean, because I think Vando's a better rebounder than Nas Reed. I think he's a better rebounder than even Nathan Knight, who probably won't get a lot of minutes. But that is a guy that even watching him again, you know, I was high on him in the in the summer league. And in the limited minutes he played in this game, I really like what I saw from him there, too. And I, I really hope he not only sticks with the team, but he gets some opportunity to play, you know, whether that's as the primary backup five in games where Nas is playing a heavy power mm-hmm. forward minutes. Um, something like that, because I do think not, um, Nathan Knight can add something to this team that we don't have. I mean, he's got a little bit more of a, a nose for the defending the rim. Um, I don't know that he's as good a one-on-one defender as even Nas, but he, uh, I think he'd be he's an interesting wrinkle to this team. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are still a lot of lineup questions to answer. And, you know, Finch said even coming into the game, like, don't read anything into the lineups tonight, Don't even the starting lineup. It's We're going to be playing with it all preseason, trying to figure out where we're moving. And it might even be game to game once the regular season starts, depending on the matchup. But, you know, like... Yeah, I heard his quote after the game, too. He even said, he's yeah. like, well, we started Okogi because we felt like he deserved it. I, I read into it. He deserved it more even from his tenure being here. He's one of the longest tenured players that... That was part of why they gave it to him. It was also partly because he, you know, performed well in the Olympics yeah. this year, so he earned time that way. So I would not be shocked if Friday night Vanderbilt's starting at the four, um, and Okogie's back on the bench, just, you know, because it was kind of a one-time thing. It depends on how reactionary they are to rebounding, be kind of the being kind of the biggest gap or need from this first preseason performance, even from the starters in that big lead they built in the first half. You know, they were still they still got out rebounded and they had trouble there. Uh, but so if, if you slide Vanderbilt there in there instead of Akogi, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that Akogi. I mean, if Akogi t- proves him that he's going to be turned into a, a PJ Tucker, like corner three point shooter, you know, making two the other night, he's going to have a super high value on this team. I don't know if it's as a power forward. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense or if they need to start figuring out if Vando or McDaniels is a starter at power forward with Akogi at the three. But um, Akogi's defense is is legit and it always has been. So if he proved that he could hit a open corner three pointer, that would be, that'd be something else, but it's just one preseason game and making two shots isn't going to make or break a season. So, um, but yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was crazy to watch, you know, all the the shots that were going down the transition, you know, buckets, you know, even with Delo, you know, I think I've read a few places like Delo's always been one of the slowest, uh, you know, pace players ever. Like he wants to get into the half court. He wants to do his herky jerky moves. He wants to get things set up in his way and find the, the, the gaps that way. But he played with a ton of pace, you know, really tried to get out in transition, even be, you know, ahead of the pack a few times and get those easy layups. So um, one, you know, one I even said, you know, I think I'm pretty sure you saw this too, but like he tried to take like a half alley-oop and lay it up over his head and ended up missing it because he was just trying to get ahead and they tried to get it to him quickly. But um but yeah, they were all very focused on that transition, which was which was interesting. But you know, they're trying to run a lot in both directions, so uh, they've got yeah. some stuff to figure. The other out. one, Jake Lehman, when he finally got into the game, seemed like he didn't. Uh, he seemed like he was pressing harder than he you know normally does. Mm-hmm. Like he, like he was maybe over trying. Um, 
So that's, you know, something to watch too. Like, you know, what, what does his role end up looking like? Yeah. I don't know if he's even going to be in the rotation to start the year. They're just, I mean, with the way that Prince played, he's clearly either starting lineup or sixth, seventh man, you know, first unit off the bench at one of those forward spots. And if you consider a Kogi and Vanderbilt also in, you know, in those transitionary roles between those two lineups, you know, th- those are kind of your four forwards with McDaniels. And, you know, if, if you have Nas behind Cat and Beverly is clearly in the second unit along with Malik, you know, if he's not starting, it's just, you've already got, you're already at 10, you know, so it's just trying, kind of trying to figure out, you know, how guys, you know, 11 through 14 really find their way to, get, to getting consistent minutes. And it, there's always injuries. Somebody's going to get hurt. So somebody's going to step up into one of those roles, whether it's an, a bench guy or, you know, sliding into a starting spot. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Balmeros and the layman's, like you just mentioned, they're just going to, I don't expect them to really start the year seeing a ton of minutes for the first 10 games or so if everybody's healthy. Yeah. I mean, if layman ends up being the guy that gets dealt at some point, just mm-hmm. because he might fit in better someplace else. Um, it, I, I like him on this team because I like what he does, but I that makes sense because like he's not going to outplay Prince or Jaden or Vando. I just don't know where his role is. I, I think I've said it over and over. He's whenever he's on the court, we look like a better team. We play yeah. better, but like his upside's limited, and the upside of the guys behind him are all like sky high. So right, um, it's it's a tough spot for him. I mean, it's like you said, mentioned when we were talking about some of these guys last week. You know, Prince and Beverly are both also on expiring deals, so who knows how much of in the future they have here. But I think I, I don't know about Prince when they initially acquired him for Ricky. I don't know if the if they thought of him as somebody that was, you know, kind of like Beasley when they got him in in an effort to we're going to bring in a guy that we really like, hopefully a year ahead of free agency, and then be in line to sign him early or to sign him for a long term contract rather than having to go out and acquire him as a free agent in a year. Um, or if it was just we're trying to transition this to a an expiring a different expiring contract at a position of need and he'll roll out at the end of the year and then we'll fill it a different way. If he keeps playing like he did, if you know, he shoots five or six from three, you know, every game, he's gonna really make a long term spot in this team and everybody's gonna love him and he'll stick around. But um, he's kind of on a a prove it year, but he's still young. I mean, I think that's the thing that we've kind of glossed over a little bit when we've talked about him is how young he is. He's only been in the league for five years or so, and you know he's still in his mid twenties. So if he has a good year, there's very well a chance that he sticks around. Um, and then Beverly is another expiring. He is an expiring, but he's also a guy that, like, they wanted and they wanted to yeah. bring in here. So it, you know, maybe the number there's some negotiation at the end of the year for how much he's willing to accept, you know, of a pay cut to stick around. But if it goes well, I could see him very well being here next year too. Layman, I'm not sure. I don't know what would have to happen this year for him to be a priority in the offseason. Yeah, and the um, other one is, like, Jordan McLaughlin played really well. I mean, if Beverly doesn't work out long-term or, you know, they need yeah. to move on. I mean, they, they wanted Ricky last year, too, and they moved on from Ricky. So I could see the Beverly thing being a one-year sort of experiment. And if they roll with McLaughlin, I mean, you know, McKinley Wright, you know, he, he showed something. I mean, he, look, that we had like a 22 point lead when those guys came in and mm-hmm. like only one by three. So some of that's just the guys aren't familiar with each other. You know, who knows what else, but um, yeah, I think that there could be, you know, some things we do around, around the point guard position 
if if Beverly isn't a guy that sticks around, we could you know use one of these young guys. Um, I think McLaughlin has a future as a backup blinker in this league, so I don't think he needs to be a third stringer for forever. No, I think absolutely. And they're going to try to find minutes for him. Everything you hear from other guys in that point guard room, whether it's D'Lo or Beverly, they, they say they love playing with McLaughlin, and he can do everything, if not well, at least good, you know, when he's on the floor and he picks up all of the, the gaps and he knows where to be. And they, I think everybody just loves playing with McLaughlin, which is really fun and it's great for a backup point guard. So, he's, like you said, he definitely has a future and... Um, he's got another year left with the Wolves after this one, so hopefully that, that fits in well. And we'll just see what, where that uh, number comes in for Beverly to determine whether or not it makes sense having all three of them on the roster next year. But uh, Well, Chet, I went and looked at DraftKings to find a okay. bunch of uh, futures for the Timberwolves for this upcoming season. I'm going to throw out a few categories at you and make you make some, some choices Okay. where you're going to put your fake money here since we don't live in a, <laughs> uh, a legal betting state yet. I think so, we did this last year, and it, it didn't pan out super well for me. <laughs> no, that's true. Neither of us, I don't think, we did uh, super well on that one. I think all the injuries really crushed us. But um, Okay, so first we're going to look at the team and their finish as a whole. So I think we, you know, we were, the Wolves were uh, projected to come in at 34.5 wins as the, the over-under. So um, I'm going to give you a bu- some odds, and I want you to, as I make my way through them, I want you to tell me which bet do you think is the best bet of all of these uh options okay so we'll start from the the most egregious plus twenty five thousand to win the championship <laughs> i mean so if, how, do, how do you want me to say so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i want you to soak these in as i go through them and then let me okay, know which okay. one you like the best got it okay all right so twenty five thousand to win the championship 20 plus twenty five thousand to be in the championship against the brooklyn nets so they don't have to win but they have to be in against the nets yeah, they have to they make have, it. They have to win the harder conference. <laughs> they have to win the harder conference, and they have to be playing against an S. All right, let's see. Plus 13,000 to just make the finals against any opponent. And then, uh, let's see, plus 10,000 to be their division winners. So I think we've made our way out of the uh, the unrealistic options. So we're going to start moving into kind of the sweet sweet spot here. Plus 6,000 to make the playoffs, which isn't so bad. Plus 200 to be in a playoff game or a play in game. I'm sorry. Really? So, so to finish anywhere between seven and t- or seven and 10. So they would be plus 200 to bet so $100. Plus 200 to, for, a, for a one game opportunity to make the playoffs. Yeah. But that plus chance. Plus 6,000 to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. So the chance of winning that game is. So low. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Um, and then let's see. Better than 12th. Or to finish better than twelfth in the conference is minus one forty. So we're a favorite there. We are a favorite to finish better than twelfth. So there <laughs> should be twelve, thirteen, forty four teams behind us if you make that bet. So I mean, what so what which two would you probably be uh debating between if you had to choose? Well it'd be it'd be the um uh being in the top twelve. Mm-hmm. I think that's a shoe in. That's a pretty easy one, but you don't win a lot of money there. And then the next one would be to make to be in the playoffs because, like, I I mean, if, if the play in game is only a plus two hundred, I'm yeah. gonna take that same hundred dollars I'm putting down and I'm gonna put it on the plus six thousand to make the playoffs because I'm gonna have more faith that they actually win that. If they even have to play a play in game, maybe they just lock up that right. They get in the top spot. six. I, I think I'd still be surprised on that one, but yeah, I think that's the easy bet there is plus six thousand to make the playoffs. So, 
it's yeah. it's probably still unlikely with the strength of the Western Conference, but that's one sure. heck of a payoff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, but you're not like the benefit of betting on the play-in game. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, it's it's only one game difference from yeah. the plus six thousand odds, the plus two hundred. So it's like, I'm, I'm, why waste your money on the plus two hundred? Just go for the plus six thousand. Absolutely, to win that game. <laughs> All right, we're going into the Carl uh, Anthony Towns division here in our in our categories. So he is plus ten thousand to league the lead in points per game. He is plus thirteen hundred to lead the lead 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 the league in rebounding per game, plus twenty thousand to lead the league in three pointers, and uh, let's see, plus nine thousand to be MVP, and plus six thousand to be Defensive Player of the Year. So he oddly actually has better odds to be Defensive Player of the Year than he does to be MVP. Yeah, that is interesting too. Because I can I can't imagine a world where Carl Anthony Towns wins Defensive Player of the Year and does not win, win MVP. Right, because he's the best offensive big man right. in the league. And on top of that, you're going to tell me he's going to also be the defensive player of the year. <laughs> so, yeah, he yeah. would have to win both. That's uh, Those are some weird odds. I mean, I do think I do think Towns is probably going to get a lot of uh, notoriety this year for his defense. Just Because I, you know, I just think he's going to be more engaged. I think he's going to be healthier. And I think the guys around him might fit those... Uh, goals a little better than what and then i think the coach mm-hmm. is gonna make a big difference there so i do think i don't think he's gonna be anywhere near defensive player of the year but i do think people are gonna start taking notice of like oh he actually is a he's a pretty solid defensive player when he wants to be yeah so i, got, I also got um carl's numbers here for what they're expecting on their over the over unders so they have him at 25.7 points per game which feels pretty high to me in terms of where he's come in, in the past and the other offensive firepower on this team i don't think he's going to be as focused on scoring you know a career high this year so i'd probably go under on that even though i think he's going to have one of his best years as a pro but yeah i agree with that uh 11.3 rebounds slightly higher than he was last year i think he was about 10 and a half um but with the the other rebounding on the floor next to him he might have to get every rebound so right uh yeah. 4.3 assists i think that's an easy over with the way that he's been playing under finch and um if he continues to play facilitator from the elbow i think the only risk there is if they really let ant and delo drive the offense more more than they did during the second half of last year but yeah but even then there's gonna be kickouts where cat's back out on the perimeter and then if cat makes the extra pass so i mean i think that's still a pretty safe over mm-hmm. and then uh 2.63 threes per game they have a, as the over under which is, isn't near like beginning of 2019 you know where he was when he was just bombing away he was taking nine a game and making four of them um but it's it's the fourth highest number on the team for threes per game so i think they're expecting the wolves to take a lot of threes this year and uh he might not be the the only focal point or the only guy able to shoot on this team anymore so that's kind of the lead to me is that he's fourth on the team in their Mm -hmm. numbers wow i'm sort of surprised by that i would have expected i mean i think delo will take more than him and beasley Potentially, but if Beasley's role is diminished, I don't know. I mean, and I mean, I guess Ant will take will take maybe a lot, but huh? Okay. Yeah. So Beasley, we can just jump all the way down to Beasley since you just brought him up. He's actually one of like the top five in the league in odds for re- leading the league in threes this year. Really? At plus eighteen hundred, um, and they have him at th- uh, leading the team at three and a half threes per game for his over under. Hmm. So. DraftKings at least expects him to be the shooter 
you know, the, the spot up guy who's just taken the Duncan Robinson role and just firing away all game. And just, that's his only job out there. So, um, from the first preseason game, I don't know if that would provide evidence that that will be the case. He tried to play more of a facilitator role, find the, the next pass a little bit more than we saw him do last year. But, um, and he also didn't start, so it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets. But uh, I think that's those ones seemed a little, <laughs> a little bit too risky for my blood to trust him, as, especially as like, you know, the sixth most important player on the team to lead the, the team in threes. But, um, but yeah, they have a lot of faith in him as a three point shooter this year. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's like depends on his role, right? I mean, if he's, yeah, I think he's still going to play a lot of minutes, but. I suppose if he's playing most of his minutes as part of that second unit, that's going to be heavy on defense because you're going to have the Okogis, the yep. maybe even Jaden, the Beverly's um, Beasley's going to be your main offensive weapon. But that being said, he was also your main offensive weapon most of the season last year mm-hmm. because of injuries to D'Lo and Cat. So I don't know that that's going to make his shot attempts go up from three coming off the bench. Um, nor do I think it'll make a difference when he's going to be surrounded by more defense-oriented players versus guys who are also threats to make shots. So he's going to have more of the attention of the defense, um, presumably when he's playing with the bench players. So Yeah, so last year he made three and a half threes per game and 33 minutes per game. So he's going to have to play a starter's allotment of minutes to hit this number. Um, right. So that's... It's very interesting. It seems high to me, especially with the role he's going to have. Yeah, it does. Uh, let's see. Let's move over to D'Lo. He is uh, plus 50,000 to win MVP if you are really on the D'Lo train this year. Uh, plus 7,000 to be most improved player, which isn't a bet that no, I hate. No, that's not a bad Yeah, Yeah, that's not a bad one. Um, if he actually comes out and plays the way he's been talking and the way the team is expecting him to, you know, I think there have been lots of reports, you know, lots of comments from his teammates that if there's one player that's really shown something you know during the offseason during this preseason looking like they're locked in and going to take a step it's d'angelo russell so i think his reputation has dropped enough over the past two years that he has room to improve again you know so to be in that that, most improved conversation and that's usually the guys that win it right yeah they're not guys that actually are the biggest increase in improvement yeah or rarely are um it's usually the guys that had like this perceived yeah exactly that were expected to be really top-tier players, didn't mm-hmm. evolve to that, and then have one good season, and they also in their most improved. Yeah, so they have him at uh, plus 18,000 to be the assist leader. I don't know if I'd go anywhere near that one. Uh, plus 4,500 to be the threes leader, you know, well behind Beasley, and then 3.1 threes per game expected. I I would kind of like that one to go over. Really? See, I, I actually think I might be more in line on the assist one. Really? Because one, yeah, because how many guys, like, this? The assist leaders today aren't like what they were even five years ago. I mean, you know, what was the assist leader? I mean, I guess Chris Paul was probably flirting. I was going to say Chris Paul is still playing. So unless he doesn't qualify. Yeah. But like, I think it's easier for D'Lo to catch Chris Paul with all these weapons around him. And if he changes his mindset to be more of a facilitator, than it is for him to catch the Steph Curry's and, you Mm -hmm. know, the Damian Lillard's of the world and three point. Yeah, no, I think I was saying that I would like the 3.13s per game, the over on the 3.13s per game. Oh, 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 yeah. Not that he would league the league in threes. That's not going to happen. But but no, I mean, so with the assists, though, like, I think Finch had a quote today during practice saying that they expect 
Russell to play off ball between a third and 50% of the time that he's on the floor, which would be the main risk to him leading, you know, having the assist numbers. You know, James Harden had nine assists per game as a shooting guard, but that's because he literally always had the ball in his hands. Right. Um, Well, and even during the game on Monday night, I I would say, well, they're on the floor. It was, you know, maybe more like 60, 40, Mm-hmm. When Ant was on there on the floor with D'Lo, that Ant was bringing the ball up. Um, and now maybe that's just because they wanted to try it. I, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't keeping track of each possession, but there was, it seemed, you know, slanted in Ant's favor of who was the one bringing the ball up. Yeah. So. And initiating the offense and everything. Yeah, and I think they were trying to set him up for some one-on-one, you know, just kind of like, you know, um, kick out, and so that it was just he was just in ISO mode and see if he can make something happen there. Um, So, and didn't always work. Speaking (laughs) of Ant, they have him at plus 3000 to be most improved player. So uh, better odds or not better odds, worse odds, better odds, better odds than um, D'Lo. Smaller payoff, but better odds than D'Lo. Plus 15,000 to lead the lead. Why is that so hard for me to lead the league in scoring? I I don't know if I'm ready to make that bet yet in the second year. No. Um, Let's see. Threes leader uh, plus 6,000. So he's slightly behind D'Lo there and they're expecting him to have 2.9 threes a game, which if he keeps up the efficiency from the second half of last year on his three point shooting, I could see him maybe getting to that number. But even if he settled in around two and a half, I'd still count that as a pretty successful year. So yeah. I don't know if I'd expect three threes a game out of out of Ant this no, year. No, especially when because I'd almost prefer it to be more like two and a half because you don't want him to lose that aggressiveness, right? Throwing down on guys. I mean, three threes a game. You know, he's got to be taking eight threes a game in order for right. that to, and that's still a really good percentage. So I don't mm. know if I want him taking eight threes a game. Yeah, but I don't know. He's another guy that you could consider. You know, at, at the most improved player mark. Um, well, wasn't he one of the three? players that uh, other GMs expected to be most improved. Yeah. To make it, to make a leap this year. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the annual NBA GM survey on NBA.com. I mean, it's like, it's their fault for underrating him. Anyway, he should have won rookie of the year. Right. <laughs> then they could have voted for LaMelo. This Another year that. guy that won't actually be improved, but he's going to get all the recognition because right. he just right. does it for the full season. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So we got two final numbers. Uh, Coach Finch is plus 4,000 to win coach of the year, which isn't a, n- a number that I hate. I know that you kind of have to usually be a strong playoff team to get that consideration. You don't sneak into the eighth seed and and win that. But, but the expectations versus reality, I think, could have a wide gap this year for the Timberwolves. Yeah. Yeah, I could see. That. I mean, that's not, that's not a bet I hate because you're exactly right. If he, if he just makes the playoffs, that's like having a, mm-hmm. you know, a top four team for Right, Utah, and lots of other franchises. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Josh Okogi is actually the the leads or the pl- team's leader for sixth man of the year odds at plus sixty five hundred. I don't know if I would uh, go anywhere near that because I don't think he's he's going to score nearly enough to get any consideration for sixth man. No, I mean, and I think Beasley's got a better shot on this roster than yeah. Okogi. So I mean, Okogi's got the best odds on this roster, let alone you know, no, I agree. One of the, one of the guys. So that's where that's where DraftKings has us. We'll uh we'll go throw down our fake bets and see where we come <laughs> back in at with uh we, we got plus six thousand to make the playoffs, so we'll be rich after this one, right, Chad? <laughs> we got. Why well, I, I do want to make the uh, the bet on just them, you know, their win total because I think that's a good yeah 
I think Good. the that's funny the thing is odd that's for us yeah. in forever. The 34 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, it's, it's odd because it's hard to find somebody, especially locally that isn't hitting that over. Right. So, yeah. And they're the ones that are usually the most pessimistic because right. they're covering the team day in, day out. So that's absolutely true. Um, so let's see, we have been going through our player previews. We've gone through nine of the 14 players. We've got five left. They are the five uh, highest paid players on the team. Not necessarily the five best players on the team, but uh, some guys that we really like. So, Chad, let's uh, let's talk about Torian Prince a little bit more. What do we hope for out of him this season to consider it a successful year? And well, maybe, after, maybe to make him a guy that we would want to bring back. Yeah, I think after watching the game on Monday, my uh, standards for him went up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because... If he did what he did on Monday, like, you know, three out of every four or five games, I'd be ecstatic because I think he was, I mean, he played really hard defensively. Mm-hmm. He played well defensively. He hit, I don't know, I, I think obviously it was since I was there, I didn't have the stats for me, but I don't know if he missed a three-point shot. I think he went five um, and six. Five and six, okay. Yeah. So he, uh, he seemed money every time he had the ball. And he essentially, if you're five or six from three, you are money. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and he seemed to have a knack of getting open too, which is the other thing that was, I mean, he wasn't like Steph Curry running around when he mm-hmm. without the ball, but he moved more so than any of the guys that we normally like Okogi kind of tends to stand in one spot on, on a whole possession. And maybe that's by design. Uh, so I'm not being critical there, but Prince would, you know, he would make one shift and be wide open. Yeah. And, was it, yeah, I mean, so, was it, was he at Malik's level? I mean, because Malik never stops moving either. No, no, Malik moves a lot more than Tori and Prince okay. too. Um, Prince just it, knows so, when to cut and he's smarter about it? Yeah, or or maybe it's because he's bigger. So yeah. it's like the guys who have the ball just see him. Mm-hmm. I do also think there was, you know, a couple of those passes came from Be- um, Beasley. And Beasley had said he's making a yeah. an attempt to be a better playmaker. So it might also be that right place, right time that Prince just happened to be you know, open when guys who are trying to prove a point that they're better at passing than maybe people sure. think were making passes to him. So, or maybe um, he was playing power forward and there's less activity required to get open around the perimeter. If you've got a big, yeah, I mean, he did yeah. have bigger guys on him. So it's, you know, he's, if he's a, playing the four and he's a smaller four, um, he's able to, you know, shed the defender a lot easier than somebody like Okogi who might be, you know, playing more of a three, although mm-hmm. he played a lot of four last year too, but, um, it was just, it was interesting. I mean, and Okogi, I think last year got to a point where he was open because the defense just was letting him stay open because they were daring him to, to beat us where, or beat them. Um, whereas, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't think there's any verdict yet out on, on how the Wolves are going to use Prince. Obviously, that was their first right. preseason game. So, um, but in terms of what I hope to see, I mean, I, if he can do what he did in the pre- first preseason game, you know, 75% of the time, I'm going to be totally thrilled with him and i'm gonna want him you know lock him up to a four-year deal next summer because he's he's the right type of glue guy you want on it because he's not a guy that's going to be always looking for his own shot or he's that he's going to need you know 15 shots a night to stay happy um i think he embraces a role he's in and, you know but that being said if he keeps playing like he did he's going to be another it's going to be another 15 16 million dollars next year to, mm-hmm. to keep him that long so I don't know how we afford him either way, which could be the tricky thing. Yeah, that's the challenge. I mean, he's at $13 million this year. It's the final year of his contract. And trying to 
understand what goes into the thought process and the negotiation process for a guy like that. Nobody wants to take a pay cut in the NBA, especially if they are coming off a successful season. So to figure out how that's going to work, I mean, do you stay with the same team for a mid-level number? You know, he's got to have a really good experience here in Minnesota to say that, you know, I'm going to stay here at the same number that any other team in the league could give me. Or do the Wolves have to go above the mid-level number? And if they're going above the mid-level number, do they even have the the financial flexibility to do so with some of the other contracts that are coming up? I think it's going to be tricky. But if he can put them in the position where they want to bring him back at a number high, you know, around $10 million a year, that's going to be a significant, you know, improvement from what we expected the day that they traded for him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, uh, very quickly, I was like, uh, as much as that pains me to say that, you know, moving Rubio was the right thing. That was mm-hmm. like, he looks like a better fit here. Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of said it at the time too, especially after the Beverly trade, once they figured out that point guard rotation, it was like, you know, going from Rubio and Wancho essentially to Beverly and Prince. I Like we said, we don't know if the overall talent is better. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it probably is because Wancho was a drag and he t- brought the whole team down with him as good as Rubio was, but the fit is just in- incredible, especially with, with Beverly and Prince as those two veterans off the bench. I think that's they're both going to play huge roles this year. You know, we did that episode after the Western Conference Finals where we compared the Wolves roster to Phoenix, you know, and how they put their team together and how far away we felt the Wolves were from having that type of roster. Maybe it's just because of the hair, but Prince can easily play a, a Jay Crowder type role for this team moving forward. Yeah, I don't know if he's this, you know, the tough nose like but Beverly's kind of that part mm-hmm. of Jay Crowder and then I I agree Prince I think Prince can be as effective or maybe maybe more effective for the Wolves than what even Crowder is for the Suns because the Suns don't require as much from Crowder as the Wolves may yeah. from Prince but um but I think you nailed it those are the two type of guys that we needed to add to this roster in order to keep this progression going if mm-hmm. we're going to be on that Phoenix Suns, Denver Nuggets kind of track. Yeah, you know, the, and we've always said the talent's there, you know, with Ant and D'Lo and Beasley and Towns. This, now with Jaden, if he actually continues to improve into his own, like, it's not a matter of talent. It was just a matter of fit and making sure that we had the right coach and the right scheme around him to continue to grow and improve. Um, and, then, you know, that kind of rolls us right into Beverly, who's the fourth highest paid player on this team at $14.3 million, also on an expiring. So, um I would hope that he's not a guy, especially at his age, you know, in his, you know, mid thirties already, who is going to come in and expect to make the same amount next year on a, on a renegotiation. If the Wolves want to keep him around and if things go well, you know, you want to bring him in somewhere between that, maybe a, you know, five and $8 million range, kind of what we were talking about, hopefully with Ricky, when his contract expired, you bring him in as a lower number as a backup point guard to close out his career here. But, um, but I think we're, even after one preseason game, you it's, it's just everything we hoped it would be in terms of the Patrick Beverly experience. Yeah. I, I, you know, for sure. I mean, it's that, I don't think there's any question marks of what Beverly's can, can give you. I think we mm-hmm. kind of knew what he was and, and that's why we were excited about getting him. Um, I do think part of the reason why he wants to be in Minnesota is because he sees a long-term bigger payday here than virtually anywhere else. Yeah. And so I do think if he does, perform at the level that Patrick Beverly is accustomed to performing at that next year there's zero chance we get him back for five to eight million because if he's only going to get five to eight million he will just go sign with the Lakers or Mm -hmm. you know one of the other eight teams that are favored to win the title because 
we still won't get that spot next year either. Yep. Um, and he'll play a similar role here, whether he's competing for a title or competing for a playoff spot. So um, that being said, I mean, you want him to do his best and perform well this year because, you know, just for the, the progression of the, the team, when you figure out the money next year, you know, maybe there's somebody else that's moved because they don't fit as well, you know, what, whoever that might be. But um, Beasley or somebody, you know, maybe that's where Beverly comes in. I, you know, it's hard to justify paying Beverly more next year than what you're paying him this year at his age. Yeah. But he might become one of those guys that's just like the linchpin and everything, you know. Um, so I, I do think the Clippers are going to miss him big time this year. I mean, it, you know, he's he, the guy's a winner. He's been a winner everywhere he's been. And there's not a lot of guys you can just say, you know, I mean, I know the joke was like Jeff Key made the playoffs mm-hmm. every year until he came mm-hmm. here and then he made it again. Um, and, you know, to be fair, early in his career, Keek was a winner. But, you know, Beverly's another one of those guys. But I think Beverly is a little bit more, you know, uh, clear when you watch him play and see him in playoff games, like what he actually brings to the team, how he does help winning. Whereas Teague, you can watch a whole Jeff Teague game where he's got 24 and 8 and not remember a single play yep. <laughs> that he did because it's he's just – He's not. He doesn't bring as big of an impact to what he does as what Patrick Beverly does, even if Patrick Beverly's numbers are smaller. Um, so, and I yeah, think that's I mean, the the difference between regular season and playoffs. Patrick Beverly, like he may not be perfect for the playoffs, and I think we've seen that on the Clippers the last few years. He, he can get isolated. He can figure out ways to scheme against him. Um, but there are players, and there are ways to play. That make a team. Tom Thibodeau has done this for years. That make a team successful during the regular season. When you give 100% for 82 games, that's going to move your team up in the standings, and it's going to make you a higher seed than people expected based on your level of talent. And I I agree with that. But I would also say those same teams that get rid of those players because they they perceive them as not helping once you hit mm-hmm. the playoff. Take a step back. They do. Yeah, absolutely. And and because they're overconfident or, you know, almost arrogant about how good they think they were. The Clippers lack of success in the playoffs wasn't because of Patrick Beverly. It was not directly. No. Yeah. And I know you're not saying that. It's just more to, you know, I, I, I do think there's an element of teams that it's the same thing with the Lakers. They get rid of Rondo and bring back or bring in Schroeder. Well, Schroeder's not doesn't have that. I mean, he might be a better stat guy than Rondo, mm-hmm. but if it's a playoff game, a game on the line, I would take Rondo every day of the week over shooter, you know, and it, frankly, it's not that close. And then all they wanted to do is bring Rondo back, you know, when, yeah. uh, like once they, the season was over, because they realized, Oh, we screwed this up. You know, like we might not, he might not be the best player for a playoff team, but we may not be as good. We might not make it to the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the two seed without a guy like him. So uh, I think teams got to be careful when they make those kind of decisions as well. Right. You know, the best of the best give you both. Absolutely. Right. Right. You know, Rondo is like the antithesis of Beverly. There's playoff Rondo. And then you have to just wait for Rondo to show up for 82 games. You know, he'll show up on TNT, you know, if you have a primetime game against the Clippers. But if you have a a Wednesday night game in February against Memphis, he's not going to be there. You know, that type of thing. So Patrick Beverly for 82 games. He's going to be given a hundred when some of these guys in fifty of those games are given seventy-five. You know, right, right. So he's a he's a floor raiser for a team easily. You know, and that's kind of his role and what he does. So, uh, I hope he's 
I hope he has another year just like Torian Prince that gives us pause and makes us want to have him back. You know, he's one of three true expirings on the roster with Prince and Jake Lehman. So it's not like they're going to have a, a f- influx of salary cap space at the end of this year. They'll get well below the, the luxury tax if they don't bring back either Prince or Beverly, since that's, you know, 27 million combined between the two that's of them. That's the but... w- weird thing with the way the team's built, because you got those two guys that if this team's successful, those two probably play a huge role in that success. And, in Prince's case, you at least have Jaden McDaniels as a guy who can take all of his minutes and you might still be all right or even better mm-hmm. because the, the, the further development of him as a player. But in Beverly's case, while I just said a little bit ago that I think McLaughlin's a legit backup point guard in this league at some point, he doesn't bring the same sort of element that Beverly brings, although he can be a pesky defender. I mean, he had a couple yeah. really slick steals on the inbounds the other night, um, but he's not, he doesn't have the uh, the sort of general persona that um, Beverly has where he's going to lead the charge and like fire guys up and he's going to stand in for the team and take that technical fall and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. They're going to want a I have a feeling they'll still want a more legitimate backup point guard next year than Jordan McLaughlin, unless McLaughlin takes big strides this year. And the only way that will happen is if we miss significant number of games from Patrick Beverly or D'Angelo Russell. So I think that brings us back to what do we want to see out of Beverly this year? I just want to see 70 plus games. I want to see him stay healthy enough to actually be on the floor enough to impact winning, you know, and move the team up a couple spots in the standings. He's had a history of injuries, you know, in the past, and he hasn't hasn't been able to play through a whole season in a few years now. So if he can play 70-plus games and just be out there more often than not, I think that's just kind of what we need out of him. Yeah, I, I agree. And I want to see him as a mentor mm-hmm. more than anything as well. Like, you know, just, uh, kind of pulling the guys aside. I want to see him talking to the guys a lot, which I did see a lot of on Monday night. Um, so I want to see that throughout the whole season. Um, sort of the way KG was when he came back for – you know, that rookie season for Towns and Levine and those guys. But um, I think that's kind of the role for Beverly this year. He might play a very similar role to KG where he doesn't play in big minutes, but whenever he's on the floor, he might be the best defensive player on the court, you know, on on both teams. So, um, you know, I think his impact can be huge with limited minutes. So I do think there's there's still minutes for McLaughlin to play at point guard every night because I don't, I think Beverly will be in that 15 to 20 minutes at most per game just mm-hmm. because they're going to use them in shorter stints to kind of prolong him, his body for the, the duration of the season, not just kind of you know, roll him out there unless they have to, like if Delo gets hurt, obviously that changes, but um, I think they'll extend his career a little bit by using him a little more sparingly than he was using LA. Do you think if Delo gets hurt, they'd slide Beverly into the starting spot, or do you think they'd try to keep his role consistent and slide J Mac into the starting spot? You know, I it's a good question. I don't know because I would probably want to maintain his role, but I don't know if I'd want to put McLaughlin as a starting point guard either. I I would almost wonder if maybe a guy like Jalen Noel gets moved up, and you just you know, ask Ant to be play point guard more often. Exactly. Yep. yep. Ant becomes more of your point guard. Um, and that way, Beverly can still come off the bench, you know, and, and maybe Beverly, I mean, certainly Beverly would be playing more minutes and maybe Beverly would start certain games where you really needed a smaller, quicker, better defender yeah. at point guard um, when you're playing guys like a John Morant or De'Aaron Fox or somebody like that. Um, but 
yeah, I, that'd be a tough spot if you're asking McLaughlin to be the full-time starter because he just gives up so much size. Mm-hmm. I just don't think, you know, I mean, I wish everybody on the team had his heart yep. and his, you know, will, but he, you know, he, I wish he had just about anybody else's size. <laughs> Is he your Rudy? My Rudy, yeah, he's a little bit like Rudy. I yeah. mean, he's a lot more talented than Rudy. But oh, man, it's, it's fall, and I haven't watched uh, Rudy yet this year. Is that your big football one? Emily and I always well, watch Rudy every year. It's just like ah, oh, it's fall, and the leaves are changing color, and football's yeah. on TV, and it's a we Wednesday, do, so there's no real football on. So we do the same thing, but we do it with like Remember the Titans. Sure, yeah, we'll watch that one. Um, we'll even watch like uh, Varsity Blues and the program. <laughs> we'll watch other football movies. And, Necessary roughness. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, my wife doesn't like that one as much, but she any does given like Sunday, you work that one in. Um, I like that one. My wife hates that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's terrible. I don't mind it. I went I, to. Uh, I, so I remember back when I was a kid, that came out. I think the same year as Fargo. Okay. And I went to see both those movies in like a short span of time with my parents. It's a weird movie to see as a kid. It was Fargo. a weird. Well, Fargo was a weird movie to see as a kid, but any given Sunday, there's like. A locker room scene where Cameron Diaz goes walking through, and guys are just flashing their the, <laughs> I don't remember their that best scene. parts. And I was just sitting next to my parents, going, "Yep, I don't need to be here for this." <laughs> it's awkward. It was very yeah, awkward. I was uh, in fact just talking to a friend of ours last night, and I was I don't remember how we got on the subject, but I said something about how Hayden won't even if a movie that he deems inappropriate, he'll still at thirteen get up and walk out of the room. Sure. Even if it's not even nudity, it might be just a woman in her bra and underwear. Yeah. He's like, he, also, he'll just get up and walk out. And like she said, she goes, he might, it might not be that he doesn't want to see that as a 13 year old boy. It might be that it's he doesn't want to see it with you. Kid, yeah. With your parents, right? Exactly. <laughs> I definitely think that's part of it. I do think there's still part of it. He's still pretty pure yeah. and like, yeah, kind yeah. Of, like good that way because he still, even if it's, if he's up late by himself, he's watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. So um, a little different than my childhood. That's funny. <laughs> All right, let's see. So we got three players left. We're going to roll into Malik Beasley, which I think is one of the hardest players to project or even understand the expectations of this year because his role is so, so much up in the air. And I think it's funny as we've gone through almost an entire off season of talking about Ben Simmons and what trades would look like that, you know, we've said no way are we including Jaden McDaniels or they shouldn't include D'Angelo Russell, or I'd hate to include Patrick Beverly or man, I really like Torian Prince with this squad. It's always just been assumed that Malik's going to be a part of this trade, and it's never really caused anybody any pause. And I don't know if that's because of just a, a feeling of unsatisfaction with Malik after the you know the legal troubles he's gone through and kind of the you know, the the sense that he's never really been a part of this thing moving forward. He wasn't around for the eleven and eleven finish last year, and it's just kind of is he redundant? Is he going to fit it does he even have a role on this team what what's his job is he going to be happy coming off the bench like I just don't know for a guy that was so successful for the first half of last season and showed so much promise as a shooter and as a an offensive player and somebody who tried on defense the fan base at least seems very ready to ship him off if the right deal comes along yeah I think part of that is the fact that like you know if you're going to get a guy like Ben Simmons you know the price takes Mm going to require something good in return right and of the guys you talked about like i think fans either a value all every other one of those other guys more or they know like in Jaden mcdaniel's case 
I certainly value him more, but his price tag is also so much smaller that he's they're not you're you're not they're not apples to apples. Yeah. You're like you have to give up a big price tag. So you're really only comparing them to Beverly, who I also think would have had been part of that deal. So I think would have been those two would have been the deal I was favor favoring. Or D'Lo, and I don't I think I don't know that fans are more infatuated with D'Lo than they are with um Be- uh, Beasley. I think it's more because they know how close Cat is to D'Lo that they just sort of are taking that as a sign that like he's not going to be the guy to move, mm-hmm. or that they just want to see the three. You know, there's a little bit of it from me anyway, speaking for myself, that just wanting to see D'Lo, Simmons, and Cat because how close they are, yep. you know, their friendship and stuff. So, like, it would seem like you might lose some of that momentum by trading D'Lo to bring in Simmons because like okay well you know how happy is Cat gonna be when he gets one friend but he loses the other friend is that really is it like one step forward two steps back or is it two steps forward but one step back so you're you know yeah um not really making as much progress as you thought um so I think that might be part of it I mean I will say you know last year for at least half the season Beasley was our you know best player yeah second best player over the course of the season but you know, for a big chunk of that, that year when the team was really bad, he was our best player and honestly seemed like the only guy that was trying that hard because he was busting his butt in some of those games that were close and he was keeping us in them. And I just, you know, I thought the guy could have gone off at any time in terms of like his being disgruntled because it's like he was given everything out there and they still weren't winning. Now, he he still wasn't a good defensive player, but he was busting his butt trying to defend guys. Yeah, he just was like either doesn't know where to be or the scheme wasn't right, whatever the the case may be. He he wasn't necessarily effective at, on defense, but it wasn't for a lack of effort. And when you're a you know bottom of the league team, that's all you can ask. You know from you know when your stars are out with injuries to ask your your third player, or your fourth best player on the team is to just you know, play hard. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, for the first third of the season, whenever I'd watch a game, I'd, I'd be sitting there thinking, is Beasley trying too hard to get rebounds? Like he, he felt like he was pulling himself out of position because he was trying to be like, to make up for the lack of rebounding from the current front court or whatever it happened to be like, or just, I don't know if it was a number that he was shooting for or whatever it happened to be like. And his, his rebounding didn't go up from the previous season. It's not like he was getting more by the end of the more effective, yeah. more effective. But it's like, there's so many times I was like, man, he's just his over aggressiveness is especially on offense. Sometimes he'd come out for the first five minutes of the game and it'd feel like he had eight shots, you know, and he'd be trying to just start the game off in the right way. And by the end of the game, all of a sudden, you know, he'd have a 50% shooting and you know, he'd have hit five threes and he'd be like, all right, that was a good Beasley game again. It was like, man, just settle down. Don't take drink one less Dr. Pepper before this game starts, you know, whatever it happens to be. And, it was yeah, know, but he would play that that kind of energy through the whole game. Yeah, too. he would. Like, but he wouldn't what? like. He it was it would be more in the flow, you know. Once the second half rolled around, it's just like he'd come out. There were so many games where he came out and be like, "Calm down, Malik. Let the like the, let the game come to you. You don't have to take every shot here." But yeah, it kind of felt like he was always every night he was trying to go for forty. Yeah, you know, like because he knew okay, I got to carry the load on offense. I mean, Ant's there, but early in the season, Ant was extremely inefficient. So. Yeah. Um, you didn't know, you know, what you could expect out of him. So from Beasley's standpoint, he's like, eh, if we're going to have a chance in this game, I need to score 40 points. And so, yeah, he did kind of come out 
guns blazing thinking mm-hmm. he needed to. I mean, Bilo wasn't right at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, Ricky was, you know, yeah, he wasn't right either. Just bad. Yeah, yeah. He was, you know, so, um, the only guy that kind of came in with the right mindset and was like, seemed ready to go was yeah. of those you know, main guys. You know, obviously we had other role players. Vanderbilt was playing hard the whole time, guys like that, but he wasn't getting the minutes then at that point. No, no, yeah. he was just a bit role player mm-hmm. at that point. So, I mean, we've talked at length, you know, especially in season one of this the podcast about how impressed we were with Beasley last year and how hard he played and how much we loved, you know, what he gave to this team and how undervalued we felt he was. Uh, and, you know, we were surprised when his number came in for his contract. We thought, you know, I especially thought that it was higher than it needed to be or higher than it should have been. Um, but he proved that he's worth you know 14 and a half million dollars a year if he can continue shooting the way that he shoots and being that floor stretcher that really every team needs so um I, I don't know I'm still stumped as to what I would consider a successful year for him though because I don't I don't even know what role I hope he has like I, I hope he's willing to accept you know sixth man but is that 28 minutes is that still 33 minutes is that 24 minutes you know as and then even in, when it on when he's on the floor is he on the floor with Ant and Delo? Is he on the floor with Carl Carl when the other two primary guards are getting a rest? So he's, you know, the primary secondary or <laughs> the secondary offensive option on the floor when he's out there. I just it depends who's who he's on the floor with and what type of role he's being asked to play, and I just don't even know. Yeah, I mean I, I kinda hope he kind of fits into a role like a you know, Kyle Corver, uh JJ Reddick type where he becomes like your instant offense, you know, open up the floor guy because mm-hmm. Um, when nobody else is hitting a shot, you get him in there and, you know, he can just start hitting cold. I, I don't know that he's that guy yet. Yeah. Um, cause he seems to be a little bit of a guy that needs to kind of get into a rhythm in order for a shot starts falling. And once it does, he's, he's, he's a little bit more Jamal Crawford that way, like sure. the, the way he plays, but I would like him to kind of, you know, maybe it is just settling down and settling into that role where he could kind of come in and be more, you know, like the first shot you expect it to go in because he's he's that money um so that would be you know just kind of embracing that six-man role would be what i would like to see because he could be sort of a super six-man like those guys where there there's gonna be a lot of games where he might start because of either matchups or somebody's out or whatever i mean because like if any of the five starters go down i could see him being the guy they move in yeah and just except for carl carl's the only one that he couldn't replace yeah but even then i mean Vanderbilt could effectively be a center if Vanderbilt's your starting four. And then maybe Jaden is, I, don't, I guess Jaden would be the guy you move in then or something. But, mm-hmm. um, or, I mean, Nas is obviously the favorite to take right. Cat's spot if Cat goes down. But, I, you know, it would be, uh, I don't know, it would be interesting. I mean, I think his minutes would be the, the biggest increase, even if Cat went down. Just yeah. Because you're going to need, Offense, I mean, Cat's your best other player. Yeah, yeah Beasley's going to be the biggest, you know, um, guy that you can look to to fill out void yeah you know we were talking earlier about prince and his ability to move without the ball and get open for a three-pointer i don't think anybody on the team moves as we said like beasley does without the ball like there's very few players in the league who can catch the ball on a full sprint and successfully put up a, a, a balanced on nine three-pointer the way that Malik beasley does like that's he runs to the corner literally as hard as he can, catches and shoots before anybody else even knows what's going on. So it's an incredibly rare skill that he has. And I think, as he said this offseason, as we've talked about, his 
focus on playmaking, especially out of those situations, I think is going to be the next major step for him, at least on offense, because the difference, you know, we brought up Steph Curry and, you know, what he does off, off the ball. The difference between Steph Curry and other guys who just run and get open is that Steph Curry knows exactly how to use the gravity that he causes to create opportunities for other players. And it changes the whole their whole offense. So if he knows he's pulling two guys with him because of the panic he's causing with his off-ball movement, he he doesn't have to be doing it for the shot. He doesn't have to be doing it for him to be the one to get the ball or even for him to be the one who, and even if he does get the ball to end up taking that shot, he's willing to make the second pass or whatever it happens to be just to make the offense a hum. So if Beasley can cut that hard and move that that well and then either be willing to not get the pass because he pulled the defender out of position or to make the, the second pass when a guy comes running at him, I think that would be the next big step for him is to, you don't always have to take the three if you if you get the pass off that cut. Yeah, even as the the marksman on the team. Yeah, and and I think he showed signs of that Monday night. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about the pa- couple passes to Torian Prince, who was more open. Now those were on plays where Beasley caught it at the top of the um, key and dr- was driving in, and it was dishing out to the corner. Um, so it was a little bit different scenario than what you you know, proposed there, where he's the guy catching it in one corner and making the extra pass. Um, so we'll have to see, but yeah. So Beasley, like we said, is the third highest paid player on the team this year. He has two more years. He has three more years left, two more after this one. Uh, the final year on his contract in 23-24 is a team option. So uh, he's one of the most locked-in players on the Timberwolves. But at the same time, I think he's also been one of the players most included in trade rumors. And if they ever needed to make a, a shift in uh, their roster or if they decided if Gupta comes in and decides we need a real power forward and Ben Simmons isn't the answer, I think Beasley is the most likely to be the one swapped for that because of the the depth that they have in the backcourt. Um, so I think he's a guy that we like. He's a guy that really made a name for himself with the Timberwolves, but he's also not a guy that I would feel like really bad for if he were to get traded because I don't, I think he's just kind of, he's always been of the mindset, like get me in the right situation, get me paid. And then I'll continue to just bust my butt no matter where I am. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he doesn't feel like, the long-term answer. I mean, and part of it's because you draft Ant mm-hmm. after you get, you know, Beasley. So now Ant's your shooting guard of the future. Um, and so it's like, okay, so what is his long-term role? Is it as a starter? Is it a backup? I mean, he, he could start for several teams in this league. So if the right deal came along and, or play the more of the hero role, like in the reason why I like that Beverly and Beasley for Philly um, scenario was because Beverly can be the defensive player, you know, not necessarily that Simmons was, but he brings back defense that they don't necessarily have if Simmons is traded for somebody else. And then they get their three point shooter. They keep sort of blaming Simmons for not being. Yeah. And so, you know, Beverly kind of, I mean, our Beverly Beasley can be the, the hero in Philly. Like if that, deal were to happen because I, I one his personality seems to fit philly mm-hmm. like he just he he's tough he's a hard worker um all those kinds of things and so i think they would like that um so i don't know it you know if i think you're right if if he was moved you don't feel bad for him because he probably is in as good a role or a more favorable role than what he would be here anyway yeah somebody else is trading for him for the need of the position that he plays so um, so let's roll on to D'Angelo Russell. 
I think uh, we've t- we've talked at, le- at length about D'Angelo Russell and what we need from him this year. I think the biggest thing that we need from him, though, is for him to stay healthy because he hasn't played. He's only played more than 63 games in a season once in his career, and that was his re- or twice. I'm sorry, in his career, and that was his rookie year and then his All Star year in Brooklyn. He hasn't every other year he's played 63, 48, 45. 42 like he misses significant chunks of each year with some type of injury and we need him to stay healthy this year for this team to really achieve their potential and that's the problem with the team is it's you can say that about both of these top two guys him yeah. and cat need to stay healthy and um so yeah i i uh, i agree that health is the biggest concern for him i also think because you have all these other weapons around him that while I would like to see his three-point shooting become a little bit more efficient, I would also like to see him be more of that facilitator, playmaker guy. Mm-hmm. I also always like more of a traditional point guard that's more pass-first anyway. Um, but I think that would open things up for him as well because if he can. I mean, he pulled up from, you know, halfway and be from the half court yeah. the other night and just swished it. I mean, he, he does have one of the prettier shots in the NBA when it's going. I mean, it looks super smooth. Um, it's when he's on, it's nothing but net doesn't even touch the rim ever. Um, so it's, you know, he obviously has that, that skill, that talent, but on the flip side, we have other guys that are also could be really good scorers. And Delo also is a talented passer when he mm-hmm. wants to be, he's just not, a, he's usually a score first point guard. Um, so for me, what I would like to see is see him become a little bit more well-rounded. It's like, okay, we know you're a threat to score. Yep. Can you prove to the league that you're a threat to sort of run a team and and get other guys going um, where, you know, sort of the Chauncey Billups mode, get other guys going for the first three quarters, and in the fourth quarter you can be the guy or one of the guys. Yeah, he's just, he's one of the weirdest shooters in terms of percentages because after he came back last year from his surgery and he played was like a much better player, he'd, you know, he'd have a stretch of five games where he shot, you know, like 50% or above or with, you know, within that range. And some games where he's shooting 60, 65%, he's just bombing away and he's shooting great. And then he'll come out and he'll have, you know, shoot two for 14 and the, the team will lose specifically because of his shooting. But he's been playing so well lately that you, you want to give him that leeway. But it's all of a sudden you look at his cumulative numbers and it's like, oh, okay, now he's a 42% shooter again. Because just that one game just tanks the whole thing. It's, right. He's not a traditional, like, I go out there and I shoot four for 10 every every night. You know, he's just, he's either on or he's off, and it's just, it's tough with him. But he did have his highest three-point percentage of his career last year at 387. Um, he took fewer three-pointers per game than he has in, in quite a few few years, so he only took 7.4 a game. But I think that number uh, is most likely going to go up, especially if he came off the bench for such a significant portion and his, his minutes were down. So I think we, we can expect that number to go back up. Um, but if he can continue shooting, you know, 38, 39, 40 percent from three at high volume. I think that's plenty acceptable for where we want him, need him, want him, and need him to be as a shooter, especially with the difficulty of threes that he takes um, and his ability to stretch the floor and impact the offensive end that way. And like you said, he's such a good passer as well that if he can pull the defense out, he knows how to manipulate guys and get the ball to somebody else. So um, we need him to take a step forward defensively. But we've been t- saying that since they traded for him. Same with you know him and Towns is just as a, as a group, as a cohort, as you know, a, a duo, they need to both just step up this year and buy into what Patrick Beverly and Torian Prince and, you know, Coach Finch are trying to, to preach and sell to the team right now that defense is just going to be the top priority. Yeah, and and beyond that even, I mean, Dilo's a really smart guy. Like, mm-hmm. every time I w- listen to any interviews he does, even if, like, 
somebody questions him on something that I might have a question while watching him as well, his response or his answer to that, you're like, oh, okay, I can see that. Like, it makes sense. Like, I've never heard him respond to something and you're like, yeah, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I've never right. had that. It's but always been He's like, not Andrew Wiggins? He's not Andrew Wiggins. He's more Isaiah Thomas. When Isaiah Thomas was the GM of the Knicks and was a train wreck as mm-hmm. GM of the Knicks, but I would I saw interviews with him explaining why he made certain picks or certain trades. You're like, oh, that actually makes really good sense in the mind if you're if I'm like hearing you say. I, there's another example that you wouldn't know as well, but as a, I'm a UFC fan as well, and there's a, a fighter that he'll commentate fights when he's not fighting, and when he talks or explains his own fights, you're like, yeah, why don't you stick to that game plan? Right. That's the right game plan. Like he's so articulate in what it is he wants to do you know whereas so Dilo is kind of the same way it's like he, he can talk through things and you're like yeah that sounds that sounds brilliant like let's let's do that and then he gets out there in the games that you're talking about where he's 2 of 14 or whatever and not only is he 2 of 14 but he's also not doing anything offering anything yeah. else it's like there's just games where he's just not as engaged um and i do think two things could happen this year where one i think he trusts coach finch more mm-hmm than any other coach maybe he's had, um, even though it's been a short run um, with Finch so far, that he will accept without pouting or getting negative if Finch has a little bit shorter leash on him when he's not doing that. And two, the second part of that is, we have a more competent replacement for him now than we maybe otherwise did. Because even last year with Ricky, Ricky A didn't come in to the... Um, season in shape because he was sick with COVID prior and uh, all these other things, but he also didn't fit what the the team was trying to do to a certain degree. Whereas Beverly's a better three point shooter than Ricky. Yeah, he's also as good or better on defense than Ricky. So I think he can add things that Dilo maybe doesn't add. That Finch would be like, look, we're not going to have a two for fourteen night. If you're just not feeling it tonight, we're just going to play Beverly more of those minutes. Um, and so I, th- I think that could be a, a good thing for D'Lo and you might see at the end of the season, his numbers actually look like his three point shooting goes up more because of that. There might mm-hmm. be a, um, less of those games where he's torpedoing his own stats. Yeah. I mean, that's where you hope that the emergence of Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley being a legitimate three point threat and Jaden McDaniel standing in the corner, whatever it happens to be, the offensive firepower. Torian Prince. Yeah. Allows D'Lo to, on those off nights, trust his teammates more. Yep. So, yep. Um, not just coach having to say, like, we're going to pull you because you don't have it, but actually D'Lo saying, you know what? It's not my night, but there are so many other guys who can get a bucket on this team that I'm just going to yeah, let them do it. Kind of become more Chris Paul like, where there's a lot of games where Chris Paul has 10 points, mm-hmm. but he's so effective at all these other things that, you know, you're like, Wow, what Chris Paul? He must have thirty tonight because you're like he's involved in every yep. offensive possession that you're thinking he's more had a bigger impact on the scoring, which he might still have, but it's through assists rather than scoring. So if D'Lo kind of embraces that, I mean that'd be a huge thing for me. Um, where he if he embraces sort of that playmaker role or that you know the architect of the offense kind of role, where you know that that would make his scoring easier and it's going to make everybody around him better. Um, and I think it's going to make his, the perception of him as a player in the league uh, much higher than it is. Yeah. And I'm willing to let him come in and figure out if, if he's on 
for the for first sure. quarter. Yeah. Like he's, I'm not asking him to be, you know, a Chris Paul where it's like, don't shoot unless you're needed to no, shoot no, or no. get everybody else involved before you try to find your own offense. Like if he comes in and wants to come in every game and be like, you know what, is it my game? And after the first quarter, it's like, yeah, it's your game, you know, go, go for it. But he just needs to adjust quicker, you know, if yep. it's not so. And I wouldn't be mad if he's having kind of an off night, but yet he's still one of the guys taking shots in the last two minutes of a close game because yeah. he, he is one of those guys that can get hot in a hurry. I mean, he, I remember him doing it against us at a game when he was with the Warriors mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, we got this game wrapped. Also Delo scores like nine points right. in a two minute span. Boom. Right. Yeah. Like what happened to that lead? So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's definitely going to be one of your top two options, even above Ant. I still think this season. Yep. I think he will too. Anyways, it's not a contract year, but everybody keeps talking about how it's essentially a contract year for D'Angelo Russell because he's extension eligible and, if he doesn't have a good year, what does that mean for him and his future and the Timberwolves and everything moving forward? So he's he's setting himself up to try to you know push for that extension at the end of the year. So we'll see where it goes and we'll see what type of role he can play. But that brings us to Carl, another guy who's going to be extension eligible at the end of this year for a, another max contract. He's uh, making $31.65 million this year. Uh, he's got two years left on his contract after this one, um, but we are starting to get into the danger zone. Uh, not we're not there yet obviously they they have no reason to trade carl even if carl starts to show a little bit of a uh, unhappiness with anything unless he it hits the ben simmons situation which it, it never would the timberwolves aren't going to throw carl under the bus for any reason so there's never going to be any reason for him to want to move out for that reason so um but is there anything is there literally anything carl can do statistically that will make you think he had a successful year or has he already done so much statistically that now it's just about whatever he needs to do to help the team win yeah i mean i think it is a big part of it is just maintaining what he is mm-hmm. already I mean, he's he's pretty consistent you yeah. know every year you kind of know what he's going to get offensively i do want to see him get a little bit better defensively um but i think a lot of that is also scheme so we'll see how that works for him um, and I also this year, I think my goal for him would be to, you know, to get up, flirt with a six assists a game kind of yeah. role, like more in the the Jokic kind of role that Finch helped employ in Denver because he, Cat's another one. So we talked about Dilo being a talented passer. Cat's a really talented passer too. Um, and he, like we saw last year, Cat more than just about anybody else in the league draws triple teams more than anybody else I can think of. Now, mm-hmm. obviously we watch the Wolves more often than anybody, any yeah. other team, but I, you know, even watching the teams we're playing against. Now, part of that's because he doesn't have a lot of, right. The other offensive options on the floor. Yeah. Were... So the defense is like, we're going to make we're garbage. Yeah. Any of those other four guys beat, beat us. We're not going to let cat beat mm-hmm. us. And oftentimes cat was still getting his, his points yeah. being triple teams. So, I mean, that I giant would... start at the beginning of 2019 was with Trevion Graham as their starting small forward you know it's just yeah. which by the way uh sides are, my niece thinks i look just like him <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I'm congratulations super weird she's she said that multiple times i mean she's like a kindergartner so yeah she but yeah super bizarre good i'm good, white by the way good work yeah. <laughs> like, <I don't> <laughs> in, case, in case those of you not listening don't know we are both uh, white. we apologize <laughs> for that yeah um so anyway i it i think cat has the potential to actually see all the stats yeah. go up because he has 
more confident players around him on on offense that he's not going to be triple teamed as much. I still think he's a double team every single time. He's just that talented of a player. I don't know how you go into games. I mean, in the preseason, we saw like what he does when it's just Jackson Hayes. He just you know mean mugs him right into the paint and yeah. then dunks on his face. Uh, you know that's what Cat's going to do to pretty much everybody outside of the the few guys that are just bigger and stronger than them, like Valanchunas, mm-hmm. but even like Embiid, Cat was doing that to Embiid, you know, when they got into their little tussle, like he can do that against, you know, even some of those bigger guys too, you know, um, he just has a few, just like KG back in the day, had a couple guys yep. that were his kryptonite that you didn't really expect. Like KG for the most part would dominate Chris Weber. And you're like, what the weird one. Yeah, but he had the weirdest time against Sharif Abdurrahim. Or Cliff Robinson. Yeah. Was one I was going to say, he always struggled with Clifford Robinson. And I was like, what is Clifford Robinson's not even an all-star player. Yeah. Like at least Sharif made a couple all-stars or at least one. Um, so it's, it's weird how certain guys just have, are, you know, yeah. Like it's like rock, paper, scissors, you know, like rock usually beats scissors, but sometimes you're up against a paper, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know, to your original question, I don't think cat has to do anything to justify himself as the best player on this team other than maintain what he already is. Yep. But that being said, I still think there's room for growth, you know, around his defense and his passing. Offensively, there I don't care about the numbers. He's done it all in different ways at different times. What I would really love to see from Carl is for him to take some of the franticness out of what he does and have just do some things that look easy. And like he's done that before when you know when they really get him spotted up against the right other center and he can just bomb threes the whole game. Yeah, three point shooting, he looks yeah. pretty. He looks pretty comfortable and effortless, and it's just kind of like, you know what? We're just going to get you the ball here in your spot, and this guy can't figure it out. Face the other night, yeah, taller than him, and he hit it like nothing, like it was, you know. But it's like the second that he has to start trying, it never looks easy from Carl Anthony Towns. Like you watch, you watch Embiid or you watch Jokic, and that's just kind of the thing that you could just kind of notice, like especially Jokic is like they can move at their speed, they know what they're, you know, what they're going to do, and it's like. They calculated before the other guy calculated, so they just know, like, I'm going to go here, you're going to go there, I'm going to go here, you're going to go there, and I can get to this spot. Carl, it's like, you can watch him calculating as he's trying to figure out on the fly, especially if he's in the low post, trying to figure out, you know, where he's going to go, and then it's like, uh, go! You know, he's just kind of, you know, burst off of something and just try to get to the rack or get to his hook or whatever it happens to be. And a lot of that is, when we've criticized him for this before, is he's trying to draw falls yeah. on every play in the post, you know, and... I wish he would try less to do that, and I think he would draw more of them because mm-hmm. he wouldn't look like he's flopping. Because there's so many times he just puts up a bad shot because he's trying to make it look like he's being fouled in yeah. the process. And if you just, you know, your first and second goal is to make the shot, and then your third goal can be try to draw the fall. But mm-hmm. I'd rather you not even like that even be a thing. Like just you know let it come if it does, and I think you'd get more respect. So you know that I mean that's a good one. I mean I I don't disagree there at all either i mean i i guess i would say that's more even more of his overall game not just offense but he picked up a lot of falls for the same reason being overly frantic so i mean i think that's when we're going to be watching and go oh snap everybody else is in trouble is when carl slows down to the point that he just he knows what he's doing and he knows what you're doing and he knows how to succeed it's like he's been it's it's, you don't want to take like effort away from anybody you don't want to like say carl stop trying so hard 
like that because we've been harping on the rest of the team to try harder for years. Right, right. But at the same time, it's like when you look like you're trying that hard all the time, like, but not in a way to, not in a calculated way, but in like a, he, it's like things look hard for him, even though he's so successful at it, and they still look hard. But when we watch him just flip that switch to a point of like, this is, this is becoming easy for Carl Anthony Towns. And, Playoffs would get hard when he's schemed against, but, you know, a regular, regular season game coming in, he's like, you know what, I know how to do my thing, and I've got the guys around me, and this is just going to be easy, because if you come over here, I'm going to go over there, and if you come over here, I'm going to go over there, and then I've got this guy standing over here, and I know where that's going to go, and it's just, that's going to be when things really start to click for this team, when Carl can just know what's coming. Yeah, and and maybe it'll be, you know, when he, I think he always feels the burden of carrying this team because mm-hmm. he's you know, so much is expected of him. So much is talked about with him, you know, nationally he's gone from being the number one guy, every GM wanted to start a franchise with to being, you know, the 15th best center. I mean, I'm exaggerating, yeah. but it's, you know, there's something to that. And I think for him, there's a lot of pressure to, to deliver. And he wants, to, you know, so he's, there's that, I think it with better talent around him, which I think we have now. And I think he's starting to trust now that maybe maybe that franticness will go away because he just knows, okay, if I'm at the elbow, I can always kick it out to somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I do that two or three times on the court, the next time I'm not going to maybe have the third guy, third defender on me because they're going to be staying at home on their guy because they don't want that easy three-point bucket in the corner. Now I only have two guys to beat or one and a half guys to beat, and I can do that every day of the week. I mean, you know. Yeah. So. Well, what we're saying is we want Cat to see the sign. Oh, way to bring it back. <laughs> All the way back to the beginning. Well, Chad, that's uh, we made it through the roster for our 2021-2022 preview. Uh, there's another pre- uh, preseason game this Friday. It'll be on Bally Sports North for those of you who have the opportunity to watch that. And then I think the final two preseason games are on NBA TV. Uh, so I won't be able to see those. Hopefully, though, we'll get some good highlights or some good recaps up from some of our other uh, fellow podcasters and writers here in the Twin Cities, and we'll we'll cover you know Dane and John Kay and you know Britt and all the the other good guys around here. So taking what they have, but uh, it's we're almost there, Chad. It's almost this new, the new season, and we're excited and ready to go. Yeah, it's coming up fast. Can't wait. All right, buddy. It's uh, late on a Wednesday night. You go get some sleep, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Have a good one. Talk to you. See ya.